I want to talk to you this morning about priorities again. We've been talking about priorities, um, and we've been talking about reaping and sowing over the past number of weeks. But today I want to talk about striving to thriving. Our priorities are, are striving to thriving. As we've been speaking about reaping and sowing and priorities over the past few weeks, we, we find that as we place Christ at the center point of our life, we find a really special thing happen, that Christ shows up. He really wants to be in our lives. Just to understand that. He really wants to have you following him, and he has a great plan in store for each one of us as we learn how to place our priorities in the proper places and as we understand the concept of sowing and reaping and recognizing that God really does have a good, good plan for you. He loves us unconditionally, and everything that he allows to happen in our life is for our benefit. Everything that God allows to happen in your life is for your benefit, whether you know it or not, <laughs> whether it feels good or not, when we keep Christ at the center point of our life and as we keep him focused and we keep our priorities established properly on who he is and what he means for us, our life is secure in his hands. Amen. That's a good thing. I'm so appreciative of that this morning. He really does have the best in store for us. And when it comes, if we could understand that, and if we could truly understand that our choices and our, our, our priorities make a difference, that it does require a desperateness on our part at times to catch the relationship with the Lord and put it back in place, that seeking God, as, as we found out in communion this morning, that Jesus fully committed himself to us through his death and resurrection on the cross, that it requires a fully committed lifestyle from us as well, a serious and a desperate heart for him. And when we put that together, the trials and the tests and the striving that happens brings great benefit to us. So my premise this morning is that it takes a striving before the thriving. And I want to talk about that this morning. I want to understand that how that, what that looks like and what that means that, yes, we, there will be a thriving in our life, but there's going to require a striving to get there. I know we don't always like to think of it that way, and it may sound strange that we would say that, but even though it wasn't God's original plan for mankind, that's where we're at today. Sin caused a separation. It caused a, a chasm or a chasm, however, however you say that word, to separate us from the love of God, separate from, from us from the presence of God, not the love of God. God loves us unconditionally, but the, the presence of God. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone here this morning that God allows things in our lives that aren't always pleasing. He does allow things to come into our lives. So the question is often asked, if God loves me so... Why does he allow bad things to happen? Why do I have to struggle so much? Why are there times of striving in my life? Some would say that the Christian life is an easy life, or it's supposed to be an easy life. But yet it seems that many followers of Jesus find themselves really in a struggle, really find themselves being tested. And I think this is a good opportunity to talk about what God's blessings really mean. I know that, Often, 
we associate God's blessings with good things, with how much money I've been blessed with or how big my house is or how new my car is or what my career is. But I think sometimes we need to recognize that God's blessings can be a little bit different than that because let me give you an example. If, I, if God blesses me with great wealth, it gives me the temptation to use that wealth to buy some things that might be a real temptation for me to put at a higher level of appreciation than God. Uh, we found this pretty, pretty evident when we were downstate living that in the summertime, um, people just kind of vacated because they had cottages and they had boats and they had trailers. And quite often the blessings of God that would come in the form of a blessing like a boat or a new car, or I'm, not, I'm sorry, a new cottage would require these people to take their time away from church on Sundays because they had to play with their toys. And all of a sudden, um, the blessing that God gave because it wasn't managed properly uh, became a curse to them because now all of a sudden they spent more time playing with the toys than really appreciating who gave them the toys. And so before long, the blessing turned out something that was hurting them and hurting their family and hurting their church hurting their community because they weren't committed as much as they were. So I, I believe that, that the real definition of a blessing is anything that turns one's heart to Jesus. And often it's the trial, the test, and the struggle, and the striving that does that more than the things that's, that are bought with money. I believe wholly that Jesus wants more of me than more of, than more of my things. He wants relationship with you. He really doesn't care too much about my possessions. He wants me, and he wants you. And sometimes he will bring something into our lives that may not appear to be a blessing. It may appear to be a struggle or a striving because maybe that's the way he gets our attention. Now, if God gives you great wealth and great blessings, I'm not opposed to that. That's awesome. And hopefully that will turn your heart to Jesus. And then the blessing truly is a blessing. Anything that turns your heart to Jesus is a blessing. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's a new house. Sometimes it's the loss of the house. It all depends on where your heart's at. The reality is Jesus wants you more than he wants your things. Well, you can be wealthy and you can be right on fire with the Lord. You can be right step and step with the Lord. There's nothing to do with how much you have or how much you don't have. He wants us. So the blessings then really are determined by our attitude about the things that we have. Amen? Does that make sense? Can we understand that? That it really is more about God wanting me than me wanting the things of this world. And sometimes God uses struggles Sometimes he uses striving for my, best be- for my best interest. Not always pleasant, but when I understand that he sees the bigger, the bigger picture, it gives me hope. If I have to be honest with myself, the striving that comes to me most of the time comes from within me and not from the world. In other words, I find myself battling my own flesh more than I battle anything else in this world. 
true. It's my own desires that I find that I have to battle over. And it's, and it's common to all men to, to struggle and strive to learn to do the right things in life. We know what they are, but sometimes it's just hard to do it, right? I know what it is to be a person that loves God, and I know what God's Word says, and I know what the things I should do, the boundaries that should be set up, but there is a struggle at times within my flesh to do the right things even though I know them to be right. There comes a time as a Christian matures and becomes more and more Christ-like that the striving to live righteously, it does become easier and we, as we find ourselves actually being more like Christ, we, become our, we find ourselves really thriving in the striving because we find that the striving brings new life to us. It, it shows us new things about ourselves. But until we get there, we have th- some understanding to do. We have some major striving to do on our part to understand that God is expecting and, and, and wanting some things of us. Now, we have to understand as well that the mind and the heart of a man is not naturally bent toward God and doing the things that he desires of us. Understand that of yourself. It's common to all men. Living a selfish, self-centered, sinful life is pretty natural. (laughs) It's what I do best. (laughs) Come on. It's what you do best too. I mean, and if you don't believe me, um, put a couple toddlers in a room and watch them play for a while. If you don't believe that the, man, that, that, that the natural heart of a man is not to be sharing and not to be thinking of others more than themselves, um, just put a couple toddlers in a room and watch them. Give them one toy and see what they do about it. See who wins. Um, they're not kind and gentle with each other. In fact, kids can be the toughest kids. I mean, I drive school bus, and I hear kids talk to each other. And I hear, I hear how they berate each other, and I hear how they really hurt each other with words. They're not kind. So for us to think that we're naturally good is a wrong premise. And I don't say that to beat ourselves up. I just say it to be real and to be true that that's not the way we are. Now, it's the way we were created, but it's not the way we are today because of sin. Genesis chapter 6 Verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, like I said before, this isn't the way that God created us. When God created mankind, he didn't create us this way. He wanted us. He created us. And the natural thing in our lives at that point, natural thing for Adam and Eve was to worship God and to have relationship with him and to be in, good re- and to be in his presence. That's the way God created us. In the image of himself is the way we were created, and that was to be in unity with him. But sin changed all that. And now the natural thing for mankind is to love themselves more than they love God. And that's where we're at today. That's, that's our beginning premise today. When we're born, we're born with that in our hearts and our lives. And even after we accept Jesus as our Savior, the process of making him Lord 
is a learned process and it requires significant effort on our part that we learn how to please him, that we learn how to love him. Because love is a, love is a choice, do you know that? Love is not something that just happens. Love is a choice. And the reason I can say that is because it's commanded in the word to love God, to love each other. If he's commanding us to do something, it must be, we must have the choice not to do something if he commands it. If it was just naturally, if all of a sudden when we got saved, we automatically loved, then he would have no reason to command love. And it would be one of those things that we couldn't control. We control love. That's why we have divorce. That's why we have splits in, in marriages and families because people fall out of love. They don't fall out of love. They choose to stop loving. Okay? Now, I know there's a lot of issues with that, and I'm not going to go there right now. But love is something that we choose to do. And therefore, we have some things to learn about. And, and, the, and, the, and the enemy doesn't want us to understand that. I will just tell you, the enemy does not want you to understand that once you give your life to Jesus, once you ask for his forgiveness, he doesn't want you to understand that there are some things that we need to do after that. And we're not adding to God's word. We're not adding to our salvation. We're living our salvation. We are living it. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the word says. And that's what it means to have this cooperative effort. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I love that verse. But that doesn't mean, though, that just because I'm a new creation that I'm automatically new in everything in my life. I have to take control of the things in my life. I have some learning to do, and I have some striving to do in my life, even as a new creation, because I have to maintain that newness of my creation. I mean, think about getting a brand-new car. You get a brand-new car, and you get in it, and you got that new car smell. I love that new car smell, that leather smell. It, sounds, it smells so good. But, you know, if you don't take care of that new car... Give it a few months, and what's it turn into? A dirty new car. And a new car that's not well-maintained doesn't last long. And we have to maintain our new car to maintain a new car look, right? And a new car feel. Well, we have to maintain our relationship with the Lord, not to give it a look and a feel, but to maintain our pres uh, the presence of the Lord with us. And we need to learn how to do that because even though the sin nature, even though it has been defeated, and we are a new creation, the mind and the will of a man is naturally bent towards evil. And now we have to retrain that. We have to train that to, be, to move from that evil side to the godly side, and that takes work. It takes striving. It takes us putting our effort into it. And the enemy doesn't want us to understand that. The enemy doesn't want you to become a Christian, but if you happen to become one, he wants to be right there to, sh to, to help you, or to, to keep you naive, and to keep you gullible into thinking, well, you can still live the way you lived. You've asked Jesus to forgive you. His grace covers all sin. And by the grace of God, you're saved. And therefore, live the way you want to live. He doesn't really want you to know the Bible. And the Bible is very clear that we have to work to maintain relationship, not to earn it. Please understand, I'm not saying we do it to earn it. Grace is sufficient, but now that I have it, I have responsibilities, and that's the partnership that we have, and I hope that makes sense. 
So this is where our priorities come into play once again. We need to establish new priorities to, in our life that match up with that new creation that we have. And that will help us to live an overcoming, successful life. You know, when you read God's word, you find words that are like successful, victorious, overcoming, and other words that would indicate that we've won a battle. The reason that we use these words to describe the Christian life is because there is a battle in our lives, and in we are successful in winning the battle, we are overcomers, and we are victorious, and we can live a life above the mundaneness of life. But we have to recognize that when we are in the battle that we're not fighting it in human terms. We're not using human weapons in this battle because it's a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's demolish mean? Tear them down. Break through them. We demolish, we tear down arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. There's effort there. That's something that we need to do. And we're going to talk about taking thoughts captive probably next week and what that means. And I know it's not popular to talk about the battles of the Christian life, and I know that we don't like to think about it that way, but, but that's what we are. It doesn't make any difference what we think, folks. We're in a battle, and, and, and you need to know that. You need to know it because it prepares you to win. James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that's the point of the message today, that we are going to strive to thrive. There is a process of striving so that we can thrive in the end because it's the person that perseveres under the trial that when we persevere, when we stand strong to the end, not by our own character, not by our own bootstraps, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we live strong that way, we will receive the crown of life that is promised to all those who love him. We need to recognize that when we learn any new skill or behavior, there is an element of striving and struggling as we're learning a new skill set, no matter what it is. I mean, think about the things that you've developed in your life. How how hard did you have to work at them in the natural to do this? I mean, I I think about when I was a kid growing up, trying to be an athlete. Um, Zach, you may be a good example. Learning how to shoot a basketball, okay? Learning how to throw a football. Learning how to hit a good golf shot. You know, um, learning how to solve a math equation. Learning how to play an instrument. I don't care what it is. Whatever new skill that you develop, it takes an effort on your part and a striving, a diligence, a persistence to master it. Amen? We have to learn the proper technique, and then we have to practice and strive to learn, the, get the muscle memory, so to speak. And this new activity, then as we do that, it eventually becomes a natural feel for us and we can go out and then do things with a skill set that was developed and learned. So it doesn't make any difference what it is. The process must be followed to learn any new skill or behavior and it requires a struggle and it requires a striving to 
unlearn sometimes bad habits and to learn the right way. We encourage our children and others that follow us to keep working at it no matter how difficult it is. It, there is a striving. Striving is a natural part of life. It's a normal part of learning because when I learn through my own mistakes, those, that learning becomes a little bit more personal. Now, I wish I didn't have to learn through my own mistakes. I, I wish I could have taken the advice of my dad and some other older men in from my life and I wouldn't have repeated those stupid things that I did. But I have and now I've learned and hopefully I can share the experiences with the younger generations and that's why mentoring really is important. Young, older men, younger men, it's important that we share our life stories because we can learn from each other. So that striving is something that can be shared because it's not, it's not isolated to you or me. We all are striving in our attempt for excellence. We're breaking the old habits and we're learning new ideas and we're learning new behaviors. And it's necessary that we do that. The Apostle Paul understood this and he gives us encouragement in the process. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes of the struggles that he had as he was putting some of the things behind him in his life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul talks, Indeed, if, there, if, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and, for, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now let me pause here for a minute. Paul is not bragging, though this may appear to be bragging. But Paul is doing, he's detailing his life and that he truly was a very skilled man. He really was one of the best of the best in his Jewish life. And so he had every right then, and, and he was, in fact, he was so good at what he did, it became natural to him. It was natural for him to persecute the church. It was natural for him to um, defend his Jewish sect or his pharisaical training because he was so good at it. So it's not a bragging, but what he's doing here is he's trying to show that the, the, the comparison from the old life to the new life that he's going into. So if you continue reading at verse 7, it says, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through, the faith, through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Can you just feel the passion in Paul's life here? Here he was once a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a, a, a Jewish man trained to, to be the best of the best. But now that he's seen Jesus, he had that revelation with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden everything's changed. He sees now all that upbringing as garbage because it's not, it was all in himself. 
And now he sees the call of Jesus to be so much more important and more significant. And now, now you see the passion in him and that he's striving to want to change. And he's taking pleasure in his desire to change. What he's saying is that prior to his conversion, he thought his life achievements were impressive to God. He thought God was pleased with him. He thought he was impressed with his knowledge and his ability. But after seeing the the truth and really knowing Jesus for who he is, that life-changing experience on the road to Damascus changed everything for Paul so that everything prior to this time was garbage and rubbish in comparison. Paul goes on to say what we need to hear as well. Chapter tw- or verse 12, let's go on. He says, now, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is where we see Paul exchanging his life of working in a natural part of his skill set. What did he learned as a Pharisee? Now that he has to strive and struggle to achieve that which God has called him into. He doesn't say that the Christian life is easy now. Now that I've got the, the truth of God and the, the Jesus in my life, it's not easy. No, I, I press on. I, I struggle to attain the goal that Christ has for me. There is more to the living now than there was in the past. I know you know people, and I know people that are worldly people, and their life can be rather stress-free, and it can be relatively easy, at least what it appears to be. When I compare my life of struggle sometimes to their life, I wonder, is it worth it? Am I doing the right thing? Why do I struggle? Why do I press on? Why do I press in the way Paul's talking about here to press on toward the goal to win the prize? When it doesn't look like I have to. When it looks like everybody else is not struggling, why am I struggling? See, Paul recognizes that there's a lot yet that he has to do to arrive at the goal of winning the prize. And I need to recognize that same thing. He's already stated in verse 10, he already stated here in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing it in his death. That's Paul's goal. His goal is clear so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. In other words, one way or another, I'm going to experience eternal life. That's his goal. He's, he, he stated it. He wants to know and what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ. He wants to understand what Christ went through so that he can share in the glory of eternal life. He doesn't want the easy way. Because the easy way won't get him to where he's got to go. The easy way says, I will give in to my flesh. I will let my flesh direct where I go, where my stomach is my God. And my desires are my God. And therefore, I'll take the easy way out because the easy way is I don't have to say no to my flesh. But I strive and I struggle when I say, no, Mike, that's not what God wants. God wants you to do the right thing, no matter what it costs. That's the striving of the struggle. That's what Paul is going through. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal 
to win the prize. And this is the main part of the teamwork aspect of being a Christ follower. It is, we're, we're, we're in this together, guys. We, it's Jesus and me. It's Jesus and you. It's the Holy Spirit and you and the Holy Spirit and me. We're working together. Christ did the first part by paying the price. He did the first part by paying the price on the cross, paying for our sin, something that we couldn't do on our own. He did that. And because he did that, I now have the opportunity to believe in that. And like Paul said, it's by faith in Christ alone. And so now that I've chosen to put my faith into Christ and and accepted his sacrifice, now that I'm saved, now it's my turn to do what I need to do to follow in his steps. That's what Paul's saying here. Now I'm going to press on. I'm going to struggle. I'm I'm going to attain the prize because I've pressed on. And this is not a pressing in to earn the love of God. It's a pressing in to learning to earning the favor of God, to put a smile on his face. I want to do that just like I would want to please my human dad. I want to please my heavenly father. And so at first the striving may be with um, maybe more difficult for me. The first, the striving it may, may be more with a lifestyle change that, that comes with my acceptance of Christ and my process of making him Lord, that I have to change my lifestyle. I may have to change my friends. I may have to go to a new group of friends. I may not be able to hang around with the old gang anymore because that old gang is not chasing the same thing that I'm chasing. There's an effort to break the old habits. The temptation then comes to slip back into the old habits once broken and prevalent. But I'm so thankful that as a person continues to choose that, that their lifestyle does help them to remain a victorious Christian. I wish it was, end, I, I wish it was over then. I, I wish I could say that once I've made enough cho- good choices that the enemy stops, that he leaves me alone, that I don't have to fight anymore, that I don't have to press in anymore. But that's not what the Bible says. And, I, and we, I, I want to understand that so that we can have a clear understanding of what God expects from us and what we need to do. Matthew chapter 24, let's read this. This is pretty important. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. A nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. This is where Jesus is describing the end time events. Okay, because the disciples say, well, when's the end going to come? And Jesus said, well, this is what it's going to look like. And that's kind of what we're seeing today, right? I'm seeing this happening. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And Jesus doesn't tell his disciples then, and he's not telling us now all this to scare us. I want you to know that. He's not trying to scare us with this. What he's really trying to do is educate us into the ugly strategies of the enemy. Because the enemy will try to bring false teachers, false preachers, false gospel that says, guys, once you're in, you're in. 
It's easy. Don't worry about it. Live your life the way you want to live. If that's the case, then why would he say? Verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray hate and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. But because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many or the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There must be a reason for Jesus to say this. Amen? He's not saying things just to say things. He's giving us a glimpse of the strategy that we must take in the, for the future. And this reminds me of the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians. And he says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance, here's the words, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So our striving here, what Paul is praying for, he's, he's praying for the Colossian believers that they, would, that they would press on, that they would see the significance of what it means to continue to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and to be able to uh, ask him to give them wisdom so that they can live a life above reproach, that they can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that they can learn more and they can be strengthened with power and they can have uh, assurance and they can have patience and peace. Our striving turns into thriving as we win the battle against the enemy. Where we can be successful in the midst of everything the enemy would throw at us, we can be successful in thriving in the area of our striving as we press into Jesus, as we continue to seek the power of the Holy Spirit, and then as we allow God to work the way he wants to work in our life, because God has a plan, and his plan is for our good. And as we measure things the way God measures things, not the way man measures things, don't get discouraged by the things that may not be happening in your life that would appear to be a blessing when God is doing something else over here that truly is a blessing if it's giving you a, a closer relationship with the Lord. Focus in on that. Jackie, would you come, please? So this morning, I want to be very truthful with people. And living the Christian life is the best life to live. There's no question about it. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But it comes with its share of striving as I continue to press in, as I properly place my priorities according to God's standards. So I don't want to be fooled into thinking that once a Christian, once I become a Christian, that life is going to be rosy. And I don't want you to think that either. Because God does have a plan, but it's going to cause, it's going to require some striving on our part to get there. But understand that he's faithful. And a follower of Christ will thrive as we allow God to have that full assurance in our life. Romans 8, 17. Now we are, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 5. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So this morning, as we finish up this striving to thriving, let me ask you, where are you at on your, on your scale? Where are you at in, in, in your life? Are, is, is God giving you the comfort? Or are you in the striving mode? Are you still in the striving times? If you are, take heart. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Just understand that. It's okay to know you're hurting. It's okay to let other people know you're hurting because we want to come around you. We want to th- thrive together. As we are striving together, we will thrive together. The enemy would want to separate and want to keep you all isolated and alone. But Jesus says, no, come unto me. Come unto me. My burden's light and my yoke is easy. As we strive together, we will thrive together. Amen? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Father, that you would just continue to lead us closer to you through our, the issues of our life. Lord, I am not in any way looking for problems. Um, I don't want to look, I don't want problems. But Lord, I do want to make sure that my mind is on you and my eyes are focused on you at all times in the midst of my problems because the problems are going to come. But I can strive and I can thrive through you and you alone. And we as a church can do the same thing. So I pray for this body today. I pray for this community of Charlevoix today that we will learn how to strive together so that we can thrive together. That we say no to the things that we need to say no to and say yes to the things that we need to say yes to. And that we truly will have our priorities placed properly. And as we place our priorities that you will fulfill us with your joy with your thriving in the midst of our striving. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and the team have played. This is my desire
Father, that is our prayer today, that you really would have your way in us today. Lord, help us to get out of the way. And help us to allow you to do the work in our hearts and lives. And help us to strive with joy. Help us to thrive with great happiness and great hope for what you have in store for us. Because we do know that you have the best plan for our lives. No matter what things may come in the future for us. We know that as we love you and as we are focused in on you and as our priorities are placed in you, that we know that you will guide us and keep us in this life so that we can thrive in it, not just survive. And I pray that in a way, God, that gives you glory and honor. I pray, God, is, is in it in a way that, that you, the way that you measure it, not the way the world measures it. That we would be confident and contented in your goodness. And I pray blessing on us this morning as we go to our homes and as we go to our places of work this week that we would continue to strive and thrive. Lord, that we'd work together, that we would be a unit. And I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed today.